six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, low precision. High crime treason. We Good afternoon and welcome to a public affair. My name is Douglas Haynes and I'll be your host for this hour. Today we are going to talk about birds. And people who love birds, the sandhill cranes you're hearing uh, just there, a common sight here in Wisconsin. On Memorial Day 2020, a blackbird watcher named Christian Cooper uh, encountered a white woman named Amy Cooper who called 911 in New York Central Park to make a false report that he was threatening her. This alarming incident brought national attention to the racism black people sometimes face when enjoying outdoor activities such as birding. On today's show, we're going to highlight a local effort to create community for people of color who love the outdoors, the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin. We'll talk about how this group is working to make birding and other outdoor activities more inclusive and accessible, and we'll learn about the mental health benefits of birding and how to get involved in it. Here to tell us all about bird joy are Jeff Galligan and Rita Flores-Wiskowski. Dr. Jeff Galligan is co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin and a member of Madison Audubon's boarding, Board of Directors, as well as the Aldo Leopold Nature Center's Board of director, Directors. And recently, he has become a matri- master naturalist here in Wisconsin. Welcome to a Public Affair, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking about birds. Me too. And we also are lucky here to have Rita Flores-Wiskowski, who is the Milwaukee Area Coordinator of the BIPOC Birding Club and a board member of the Wisconsin Metro Audubon Society, where she's leading diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Thanks so much. Welcome, Rita. Thanks. It's great to be here. And welcome, listeners. We would love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question about the BIPOC Birding Club or its mission to engage people of color in the outdoors, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also find us on Facebook, message us on Facebook or on Twitter at uh, WRT Talk. Uh, So please uh, let us know if you want to talk about birds. So we're going to start off today by um, really getting the story of this great, uh, relatively new initiative, the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin. Um, Jeff, can you start us off just telling us uh, about the club, uh, how it began and what it has become? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, during the pandemic, it was I, I felt personally a need to you know, do something to kind of connect with people again, I think. And then there was uh, the issues that happened in, in the summer of 2020 in which you uh, explained the um, incident at um, Central Park, along with some of the murders of, of like uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, Ahmaud Arbery. And, and, and those things really kind of stimulated me to want to do something to increase the uh, birders of color out in, in, in Wisconsin, because I've been birding for, for a long, long time in Wisconsin and other places. And that's a, it's a diversity or lack of thereof is something that I've noticed. And so I emailed uh, Dexter Patterson, who's also the other co-founder and said, Hey, we should meet and discuss getting a, a birding group together. Uh, and so we did, we met at nine Springs and walked around the whole area and talked about like starting a Facebook page and an Instagram account and just inviting people to, a to a, a birding event. And this was in June of, of last year, June of 2021, exactly on, on Juneteenth day, which was serendipitous rather than and planned. Um, and then we had our first event in July at nine Springs and we had like 35 people show up, which is more than either of us expected. And it has just taken off from there. I mean, we've had. I don't know, somewhere around 50 events in this year period. We just had our one year anniversary a month ago at at um, 
and some prairie. Oh gosh, Rita, help me out. Uh, Patrick Marsh. Patrick that, it was that Patrick Marsh. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's just been a really the, the reception has been fantastic, and and I feel like we've started to move the needle on on diversifying and and uh, the outdoors, and also educating and spreading the word about the need for it. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, Rita, of course, we want to hear about how you got involved as well. And tell us more about the Milwaukee chapter of the BIPOC Birding Club. Sure. So um, Jeff called me about, um, I think, October of, of um, last year and um, told me what he and Dexter had started and what they were planning to do and um, asked me if I wanted to be involved. And of course, I jumped right on it because um, I've been um, exploring ways to diversify the birding community um, through my work with the Wisconsin Metro Audubon Society. And um, we, we haven't really had much luck. And, and I think we found that, that, magic, um, that magic ingredient with the BIPOC Birding Club um, with partnership with a lot of the other birding groups um, around. And, um, and so it's just been this really great journey. Um, and I'm glad that he called me and I'm glad to be um, part of it. It's, it's, it's been so much fun. And we are glad that she joined us, of course. I mean, Rita was like one of two people of color that I ran into periodically at Birding in Wisconsin. So we've known each other for years and she was the obvious and natural choice anyway, just because of who she is and what she brings. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Great. I, you mentioned the partners just now, Rita, uh, and I know that you all have very deliberately worked with a number of different partners. Can you tell us more about your collaborators and partners who are helping create this community? Yeah, um, well, um, the first birding, um, BIPOC birding event um, in the Milwaukee area was at Havenwoods. And Havenwoods is um, Havenwoods State Park or State Forest. I think it's called, um, is uh, Havenwoods, is um, in the middle of um, Milwaukee and it's surrounded by industrial areas, um, housing projects. Um, it's on a bus line, you know, there's, it's, it's really, it's accessible. It's, it's, um, it's a great, great magical place right in the middle of the city. And, um, and they've got, um, they, want, they want us there. They, you know, they, they want birders there and they have partnerships that they've, um, helped us connect with, such as um, Nearby Nature, um, another group that's trying to get people of color in the outdoors. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've we've just had some really spectacular um, uh, successes in, in creating partnerships in Milwaukee and in Madison. Jeff, do you want to add anything about partners here in the Madison area? Yeah. Well, I was going to add about, uh, well, partners in the Madison area, I would say I would definitely give a huge shout out to first of all the feminist bird club because their leadership showed up for our first meet or first event in july of 21 um at nine springs and they've been really helpful with kind of helping us navigate joining the you know environmentalist community and um it's been fantastic and the madison audubon has also been fantastic as well we have a fiscal sponsorship with them and they they kind of amplify and highlight everything we're doing and it's been a great partnership and a lot of support but i also wanted to just quickly highlight the you know we're doing things across the state as well we've had like we had a wonderful bird banding experience up at uh, wapaka bird or the emmons creek um, bird banding station um aldo leopold foundation has invited us up for a private tour and and crane staging event when they were um, migrating in november and we saw like fifteen thousand cranes fly over in an hour's period international crane foundation has has been fantastic and did a private uh, tour for us as well so there's been a lot of really great interest um we're working on getting something up at nemicagon river and st croix river basin um for next year as well so there's really great stuff coming up and great stuff that we've done so the reception and the desire for groups and organizations around the state to to engage in this diversity discussion has been it's it's, it's inspired hope and it, it makes me feel really, really positive about the future that is really amazing, the number of connections you forged uh, in little over a year, right? It's uh, Yes. It clearly shows you that there's interest in, in um, what you're doing and, and support for what you're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us more about, um, you were just talking about, you know, accessibility and inclusivity challenges in birding and other kinds of outdoor reaction, uh, recreation. Tell us more about those historic challenges in those areas and, and current challenges as well. Um, well, one of the things um, I'll talk about a little bit about accessibility. One of the things that we're pretty proud of 
is that just by um, us being communicative to what people can expect and making our events not feel intimidating, we are getting, um, of course, um, people of color, which is um, what our goal has been. But we've also gotten a lot of people with mobility um, challenges who've come out to our events. And we um, are making a concerted effort to have some events, you know, as, you know, walking events um, through trails that may, may be a little bit challenging and also events that um, don't require those kinds of um, activities. And we have coming up um, at September 11th with another one of our great partners, the Forest Home Cemetery in Milwaukee. Um, we're having a big sit, which is, um, it's kind of like a tail, tailgate for, for birders. And, um, and you can, you can walk as much as you want, or you can, you know, grab your, your lawn chair and join us. And, and so we expect that there will be people of all kinds of abilities that will come. And we're really proud of the fact that um, we've made it accessible to so many people. Wonderful. Jeff, would you like to add anything about those issues? Yeah, I think she, she's uh, Rita's done a great job, job with that. Absolutely. Um, if for me, another uh, focus is, is, well, definitely empowering our, our members to, to be leaders themselves. I know we had a, a, a Blackbird is a Week event at the Henry Vila Zoo that partnered with us, Henry Vila Zoo and Madison Audubon. And um, we had even a seven-year-old, uh, one of our seven-year-old members was uh, one of the four um, bird walk leaders during that time period around the zoo. So we really love to see uh, new birders become more experienced birders and young people to see people that look like them doing this kind of thing so that they understand and realize the possibilities there for them to do it. And uh, our, our friend Roman is a fantastic birder. He's got a life list of what well, probably approaching 200 birds by now. He knows mm -hmm. bird calls by by heart. He's amazing. Um, and we love we, we love providing those opportunities for young people as well as new birders um, because, you know, they're going to be our future and we need to expose everybody to um, the outdoors of Wisconsin and, and, and the opportunity to realize that they can uh, engage in STEM fields and that can be their career if that's what they choose. I um, definitely got the vibe in, in researching uh, your activities and your events that they are just so open and fun for everyone. And of course, you have Dexter Patterson documenting them in these fun ways on social media, right, as well. Yes. Um, but it's definitely, uh, for those of you who might think of birding as this sort of staid uh, kind of stodgy activity. It's definitely, that's not the vibe I got even from just seeing the social media posts and, and hearing and learning about what you've all been doing. And, and as somebody who got into birding as an adult, it can, can be intimidating, right? Um, if you don't know people who do it. Um, but the, the, atmosphere that you're creating there definitely is is not that so uh yeah exactly yeah. you know we're telling people come as you are um if if um if you see a bird and it excites you and it sparks some joy and you feel like you know yelling and 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 screaming that joy do it because um we're a little bit different than other bird clubs um and we want to be less intimidating we want to um have people come and really enjoy the experience that's what's that's what's going to create the diversity in the birding community when people feel comfortable and safe and um, you know and welcomed not just welcome but they belong you know so so that's what's we're, that's what we're doing. And we tell people if we're talking and you see something interrupt us and talk right over us and say hey look at this over here because you know we can talk anytime so we're we are definitely about the community as much as anything and you won't hear us telling people to be quiet or you know because we you know that's not everything we do. The birds are absolutely a central focal point of what we do, but it's not everything in the community. And like Rita said, having people feel safe and secure is, is more important. We're not expecting everybody to be compile lists of all the birds they see or become a, as frenetic as we are about it. But, you know, they can incorporate into other things they do. And that can also be maybe going on a hike and that might be their focal point. But, but being aware of what's going on around them um, and things other than just walking, you know, what's going on with the plants and the animals. And one of the reasons I got my master natural certification was to kind of hopefully be able to build a little more content besides just birds when we're out doing things. Like birds are sort of a window or a gateway into this whole wider world of paying attention to the natural world. That's a great word gateway because I, I use that word myself a lot and that, that yes, it, it is that. And, and it, it can help 
people form that connection with the earth that sometimes is missing in this world of technolo technological advances and social media. It's easy to kind of withdraw from exactly how connected we really are and need to be to the earth and, and its processes and, and preserving it for ourselves and for our future generations. And, you know, preserving the climate and, and, and landscape and, and habitat and things like that has nothing to do with race or ethnicity. It, it, it affects all of us equally. And so um, I, I think that part of what we are doing is to make sure that people are informed and educated and have the understanding that they also should be at the table for these kind of discussions. I'm going to take a moment to reintroduce you both here. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. My name is Douglas Haynes, and today I'm talking about the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin with Jeff Galligan and Rita Flores Wiskowski. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message A Public Affair on Facebook. So I think this would be a good time for us to really dig into birds here and give people a sense of what you all have been talking about as bird joy. Um, I think we'll start with your personal stories and then get into talking about a few individual birds. Rita, could you tell us a little bit more about what drew you to birding and, and how you got this bug for, for looking for birds? You know, I don't remember the first time I've noticed birds or when I first um, really, really started to love birds. It's been, you know, as, as far as I can remember, um, I don't remember how it started. Um, as a kid, I've always been fascinated with nature and, and my brothers and I would go on hikes and, and our parents would take us camping and, and that kind of started it. But then about um, 15 years ago, I kind of uh, started to get a little bit of a bug about it because I was hearing about this online birding community, you know, and people sharing um, events and, and knowledge. And I just wanted to be part of that. And um, that's just that that's what got me in as an adult about 15 years ago. And now I'm just obsessed. Um, you know, it started when I was 10 with uh, my, my parents buying me my first pair of binoculars and a field guide. But um, that just kind of was like a little bit, you know, but but since but since I've been an adult, it's it's kind of an obsession. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? What's your story with what drew you to birds? Well, I, I initially started when I was probably like five or six years old. I used to I remember I used to get up on a ladder and like watch robin nests and stuff and take meticulous notes on what was going on in them and things like that. And um I had, uh, you know, my dad had a pair of binoculars and a bird book, and that was about his extent of his his birding. But I, I really was fascinated with Roger Tory Peterson's uh, field guide to Western birds. I, I'm from Portland, Oregon originally, so I, I would just, you know, read all about where birds were from, and you know, and for boy that's six seven eight years old you know hearing things about like california condors or roadrunners or or limpkins or um, purple gallinules that were found in places completely different from where where i was from it was just like a fantasy world and just the understanding that that could be a possibility to see them was just just amazing um and i had a period of time where i was kind of a casual birder where i was like if i was somewhere and i saw something I'd be like oh wow that's interesting that's a so-and-so or whatever but when i was doing my doctoral work i made an agreement with myself that once i finished i was going to really take over with uh you know birding intentionally and really going after uh finding different things and so that's what happened and and i just really got into traveling around and seeing birds and looking for the rare birds people were, were uh, um, talking about and, and focusing on migrations and things like that. And my bird list went from, you know, 100 to well over 300, you know, and it was like, and it's just really cool to see all that. And, and I'm for lifelong now. It's a lifelong thing for me. A lifelong joy. And I've heard uh, both of you talk about this idea of bird joy. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what it is and um, particularly maybe build on that with what are the connections between birding and mental health? What makes us feel good about birding? Um, we'll give it back to you, Rita. You know, one of the things that I, I've noticed about myself is when I'm out birding, um, I get lost in the moment. I get lost in the, the wonder of it and hearing the sounds and, and, and feeling, you know, the, the breezes from outdoors and, and you just get lost and, and, you know, a couple hours can go by in just a flash. 
And, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you in your plane and you just, it's just what you're focused on. And, and we lose that as adults. And it's really, um, it really helps us with, you know, with, with all kinds of well-being, with whether it's our mental well-being or our physical well-being. Um, I think getting out in nature is super important um, for everybody. Jeff, would you like to add anything about bird joy as a concept for you? Yeah, bird joy is uh, definitely a, a, a fantastic thing. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess the best way I can say is, is like when, you, when you're at a bird banding event and people hold birds, no matter what their experience with birds are, the look on their face is just, it's such a purely joyful thing. I, I mean, there's some something spiritual and mystical about birds and it's it's i think it affects all of us even if we don't know it until maybe have a close encounter with them or something but i i believe that birds are are absolutely joyous and and the pursuit of them and being out in nature and being surrounded by trees and hearing the wind through the trees and hearing the burbling of a creek or something like that is really has demonstrable uh positive effects on your mental health you know, and birds connect us with each other. I mean, not only the people who you're with at the moment looking at the birds and talking about what you're seeing, but, you know, these birds that we see here in Wisconsin, a lot of them are traveling to um, South and Central America. And so they're connecting us with the world and with people that, um, you know, they're going to going to see these birds, you know, in a, in a month or so, and and they're going to be looking at them just the same. There's this connection now between us and and the people who are seeing them in in the south. That's right, and and the conservation in one one area affects the other, so that brings people together uh, around the world for that. And that's that's a great point, Rita. I was just going to say really quickly, there was a, a really instrumental study done by the University of Exeter in England that found that people living in areas with birds and tree cover are less likely to have anxiety, depression, and stress. And that's a very passive thing. You don't even have to be aware that it's there. It's just living in a place that has that, has a demonstrable effect. So if you're seeking it out, I mean, then you can imagine how, how well that works for your own personal well-being and mental health. Absolutely. Uh, let's dig into a few examples then now of uh, and have some fun with getting to know a few Wisconsin birds or birds that spend time in Wisconsin anyway. And uh, we'll start with you, Rita. Um, uh, tell us about uh, one of the birds that you'd love to talk about now here in Wisconsin that, that draws you and gives you that bird joy. Sure. You know, um, there's a lot of birders who are um, very hesitant to, to point out their favorite bird because, you know, you love them all. And I love them all, but I really have a special place in my heart for the wood thrush. Um, it's, it's a beautiful bird. It, you know, it's not real flashy. It's brown with um, dark brown speckles on its breast, but, um, you know, um, so not flashy, but still beautiful. And the sound it makes, and sometimes when you're walking through the woods, you just hear it and you don't see them because they, they can hide pretty well, but you hear it and it's just this most amazing flute-like, um, beautiful, ethereal song. And it gets me every time, makes my heart sing, and I love it, love it, love it. We're going to hear that wood thrush just now. Yeah, you could hear that that kind of ethereal or flute-like quality that you were talking about with the sound song of the wood thrush kind of floating up over the rest of the ambient forest sounds. Yeah, um, imagine walking through the woods and just hearing that, you know, hearing that as you're walking. It's just, it's magical. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Rita. Um, how about you, Jeff? Well, uh, you know, I love wood thrushes too. I, like Rita said, it's hard to pinpoint favorite ones, but there are things that are are... You know, I'm really excited about many of the birds that have, have made recoveries in Wisconsin and, and, and around North America in the last, well, depending, 20 to 70 years. But um, I think like bald eagles is a great one because everybody loves bald eagles. And, um, you know, the, the DDT poisoning really had a huge effect on, on the population of predatory birds, um, raptors in between the 50s and the 70s. And 
in, in 1971, I believe, there were 108 occupied. The DNR did like aerial surveys. They do aerial surveys of, of raptor nests. And they found 108 nesting pairs in Wisconsin. And um, that is now 2017. That's up to um, uh, like 1,695 nests. So the recovery has that ban on DDT and then the, the concerted effort to preserve habitat and things like that is just made their population soar. And you can see them anywhere now. Um, I think all but one of Wisconsin counties have documented. No, it's, it's, all, it's all 72 counties. All 72 now. Milwaukee okay. was the, the holdout. Um, okay. Our nests have not um, produced young yet, but um, it's, you know, maybe next year. But we do have eagle nests here in, in Milwaukee County. So 72 out of 72 now. So mm -hmm. that's, that's an amazing story. It is an amazing story, and you can see them here in Madison, right, in the wintertime in particular along the shores of the lakes, but like you said, yeah. uh, everywhere. Um, bald eagles, of course, aren't songbirds, but they do make vocalizations, so we'll, we'll uh, get to know here. I think it's important that we lend voice or lend the voices of, of our animal um, brethren as well here on the air. So we're going to listen to a bald eagle for a second. So you hear the the cry of the bald eagle there. You can imagine him moving through the air, maybe over the over the water. Um, beautiful. So two great examples of birds that um, uh, can be found in different kinds of places here in Wisconsin. Uh, another bird that I know that you're really interested in, Rita, um, that has made a great recovery is the American white pelican. Tell us more about pelicans and your encounters with them. Yeah, you know, I love pelicans because when you see them like, you know, on the on the water, um, they just look so goofy and prehistoric and, and, you know, just kind of a, you know, a goofy looking bird. And then when they're when they're soaring, they're just so beautiful and graceful and those big white, you know, birds just soaring around. It's it's a, it's an amazing sight. And, you know, I used to always have to go to um Horicon Marsh to see pelicans. And I think that's kind of where they started coming back to Wisconsin um, at the Horicon Marsh. But now um, you can find them at a lot of our waterways, a lot of our rivers and and um, and lakes. Uh, they'll stop by and, you know, and, and there they are. And people are, are excited about them um, because we didn't really have pelicans in Wisconsin maybe 25 years ago. And they've just come back in big numbers um, and, and they're a big, beautiful bird. I just love pelicans as well. One of my favorites. You mentioned Patrick. I, oh, oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, no go ahead. Go ahead. You're oh, you mentioned Patrick Marsh out in Sun Prairie. Um, if people are in that area or, or drive by there occasionally, you can often see American white pelicans out there, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those, are the, those are the habitats that, that, that they like and that we're, we were finding them. I think we have a, a pelican uh, clip as well to hear. Again, not a songbird, but uh, make pretty incredible vocalizations, actually. Do either of you know um, what kind of situation that vocalization might be happening in? I have never heard a pelican make yeah. a sound, so yeah. this is a this is a, a new learning experience for me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to point out that um, uh, you know the first the first breeding. Um, so in 25 years, they've gone from almost nothing to thousands of birds in Wisconsin. But the first nest was discovered in 90, 1995 in Green Bay. Um, and they now breed at Horicon is a huge breeding place uh, for that. My, my good friend, Bill Volkert, who's uh, a prominent Wisconsin birder and worked for the DNR, um, they found four of them in 1982 at Horicon. And so he was organizing all these trips to have people go see them because at that point it was like, wow, white pelicans in Wisconsin. And like you said, now you can see them at Patrick Marsh. I'm driving along the Beltline and the Yahara in the spring. They're just loaded with it and so with them. So 
it, that's another incredible story that we have them breeding at the level that they are now in, in different spots in Wisconsin. I'm going to, again, reintroduce you. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRIT 89.9 FM. I'm talking today about the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin with Dr. Jeff Galligan and Rita Flores-Wiskowski. If you'd like to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. We still have time to take some calls here today. Please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message A Public Affair on Facebook. Um, let's talk a little bit about some more uh, favorite places to go to see birds, especially let's say you're new. Um, you don't uh, know how to find birds by by their sounds. Um, where's a good place to go to easily see birds and get excited about this? Well, I think if you're new, any place is good. Any place is good. Um, start in your own backyard and just pay attention um, to the robins, the chickadees, you know, the cardinals, whatever is coming through and get to know those birds because the, the, um, the field marks and the, field and the sounds that you hear from those birds are gonna help you when you're out, um, you know, in other spots too. And then of course, come to our events, come to events with other people and, and, learn, um, and learn some things. Um, we had our first, uh, I, I think I, I talked about this, we had our first birding event at um, Havenwoods um, in Milwaukee, and those places are pretty magical because they're a little little um, oasis of, um, of habitat uh, for migrating birds, and and you know they they see these spots and they stop, and and then we can go there and get some amazing views of some pretty spectacular birds. So, uh, your local parks, your local state forests, um, any of those places are great places to check out. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, and you go to our events, you'll you'll find the great spots we go for like specific times of year there it may be better to be at a certain spot and you'll learn those things as you go along one thing i would quickly point out is is the the app merlin m-e-r-l-i-n allows you to um you can record songs that you hear it'll pick up the sounds it'll identify the birds for you so that's a good way to start learning how to bird by ear like if you don't know a specific sound being made it'll tell you what birds making it and that's a great way to start learning birds and you can do that at any park anywhere at any time which is really fantastic could you tell us more i'm glad you brought that up jeff could you tell us more about other resources or tools that are helpful for getting into birding yeah i think well apps are good i mean you like ibird has has a good app sibley has a good app the merlin is great um you know some people prefer books that can be good too but i think these days with your phone and everything you can have everything you need um and, and a pair of binoculars is great i always say for adults I, I think a 10 by 42 is a good power is a good place to start i mean you can get better but the the more magnification the less the field of view and the more jittery it is so especially for newer folks it's it's easier to have a little bit of a wider view of what you're looking at and then so you can find what you're seeing and it doesn't jitter as much uh, for kids it's usually like 8 by 32 um, just because the interpupillary distance is, is narrower and, and adult binoculars are heavier. So having lighter binoculars and one that allows for that shorter interpupillary distance is, is good to have. Binoculars, of course, can be quite expensive, right? One of the things I noticed about your events and your, your club is that uh, you provide binoculars for anybody who shows up, right? How did uh, yeah, that decision happen and how did you manage to get funding together for that? Uh, well, uh, we knew we wanted binoculars and we also wanted to have binoculars that were good optics, not just like, you know, things that are barely hanging in there and on their last legs. We wanted people to come and feel like, wow, I've got a nice pair of binoculars. And so I've written a couple of grants that, that have allowed us to, uh, uh, purchase those optics, uh, for our members. Um, that's a shout out to the natural resource foundation of Wisconsin, which has, uh, these bird grant opportunities. And I've been able to, um, use those to help build up our our um stock and we have now from milwaukee as well so mm -hmm. that's yeah that's really good we like people to not have to have binoculars if they don't yeah it's you know you when you come to our event you, you're not making like this commitment to be as as crazy about birds as we are you're just checking it out sometimes and mm -hmm. and um and so you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on binoculars just use ours and then if you become, you know, really obsessed with birding as we are, then maybe you might want to buy your own, but then you'll have an idea of what works for you and what you like. And so that's a really great 
um, a great reason to have binoculars on hand to lend out to folks. I think this would be a great time. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say, you know, on our website, I, I do a newsletter every month. It comes out the first of every month. And you can uh, sign up for our newsletter on our website. Um, and, you know, that gives us, you an idea of where we went the month before, what's coming up in the next month or two. So that's a good way to kind of gauge when and where we're doing events which would be indicative of what kind of birds you could expect to see and lots of pictures and things like that as well. So that's a good way to kind of hit, keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in, in our areas here in Madison and Milwaukee. We have a caller who has a couple of questions for you both. Uh, Mike, you're on a public affair with Jeff Galligan and Rita Flores Wiskowski. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my first question is this. Um, I've always perceived, and it's always appeared to me, that birding has been a uh, favorite pastime primarily for uh, the elite. I'm wondering, uh, how did that uh, develop, and is that still an accurate stereotype? My second question is, have there, has there ever been any confirmation as to uh, recent sightings of the ivory-billed woodpecker Supposedly, they've been reported uh, once from Cuba and once from somewhere in the bayous of southeast Arkansas. And I will take my answers off the air. And thanks for taking the call. Take care. Thank you. As far I don't, I don't know, Rita, if you know anything else about the ivory billed woodpecker, but my understanding is that it nothing conclusive has been. Yeah. yeah. There were some pictures that were taken or video, but it's really inconclusive but it, it certainly does make you think wow maybe they are still out there yeah exactly i mean there's always there's always that hope that people like to to um, hang on to and that's great you know it keeps us looking and i think that's wonderful um yeah um and as far as um what was the other what was his first question again about if it was an elite um, oh, yeah. endeavor and, and how it started as elite and is it's that way still. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how how it started, but I know that there is that perception, and that's why it's it's intimidating for people, and so that's why the BIPOC Birding Club is here to take away that intimidation factor, um, because it doesn't need to be elite. I mean, all you need is your senses to go out and and observe um, what's out there. Um, if you don't have binoculars, or you know, you, you just you just go out and and look. Um, you don't need any fancy equipment. If you have fancy equipment, you know maybe that's you know maybe that's what you want to do, and that's great too. But um, it sure it sure shouldn't be for the elite, um, and and we want to change that. We have another caller um, calling in with a question. Thomas, you're on a public affair. Uh, yes, thanks for the program. Uh, my comment is: the more people get out to, to do birding, the better it is. It makes you observe things that you might not see otherwise, particularly if you're just watching all this uh, video and television and everything else. And the other thing it does, it does, like you say, it does help because there's a lot of places you can report an odd bird that has not been seen before once you get to know the birds and so other people uh, can come up and see the birds. That's happened any number of times uh, when I've been birding where the uh, Madison Audubon reported something and went out there and had to go a couple of days or so and saw, uh, I believe it was a short-tailed uh, flycatcher that had come up from the south on some wind and was only here for a little while. So that is one of the joys of bird watching, getting people out, getting to be observant of the nature around you, and you're seeing things, not just birds, but everything else that's going on. And uh, thank you for the program, and thank you for your organization. I'll take well, thank you. Thank you. You have just ex you have just um, described bird joy perfectly. So yes. thank you for that. Thank you, indeed. Yeah, and, and he brings up a great point: is is that you know the whole? I think most people probably heard the concept citizen science right now, and that for for in a large part is due to birding. Um, because of eBird, people can go out and keep a list of what they're seeing and how many of what they're seeing. And then they upload it into eBird and people all around the world are doing that. So, I mean, the data is intensive in terms of mig migration shifts, population shifts, um, habitat shifts, 
habitat declination, all kinds of things are, are readily apparent now because of that. And I think that he made a great point that illustrates that. Ebert also gets people out to to see um, birds that the, who otherwise might not go out, particularly at certain times of year. I'm thinking of the snowy owls when they come down in the yeah. wintertime, for example. Um, yes. Do either of you have any stories you'd like to share of like pursuit of rare birds that you found out about either through other birders or eBird? There have well, been some some uh, some some chases. The, I, I'll say the the one I chased the most was uh, an ivory. Uh, gull, which is a, a gull that lives on the ice packs, polar ice caps, and basically follows polar bears around and, and gets scraps of seal, <laughs> hunted seal. But it, one came down to Duluth. Um, actually, there were two of them, but but the one that I saw, I you know I said I'm going up to see it, so I drove the six hours up to Duluth one one early morning and got there at sunrise and and saw it. And that's that's an amazing thing, you know. And and another great thing about birding is those birds that just don't belong here there's enough of them that come periodically especially during the spring that it just makes it so fun yeah it's really exciting um, to see something that you've never seen before um, I was out birding one day and um, came across um, um, an ash-throated flycatcher which I was not familiar with at all you know I know my Wisconsin birds pretty well but I don't know my western birds and so I took a look at this bird I took some photos and I had to ask my, you know, my friends, you know, what is this? And the ones who had birded, you know, um, in other states knew what it was exactly. And the next day, a bunch of people went and, and uh, looked for it and found it and, you know, and got to see it too. So, you know, that was my, my, one, my one rare bird that I found myself. Most of them other people find and I go and look at them. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it can be pretty exciting. Yeah, and at the heart there of what you're both describing, too, is this larger community of birders and the ways that birds bring people together. You're creating that uh, locally with the BIPOC Birding Club, but as you say, um, you can find out about now through technology and word of mouth, of course, too, about what's happening with birds all over the place, and that connects people in different regions, uh, connects you, like you said, Rita, uh, with people that uh, you might not otherwise be connecting with to to talk about bird sightings. Um, it's a it's a real community activity. And I was wondering if you have any other examples of sort of a memorable BIPOC birding club event that uh, really illustrates that community in action. Well, you know, what comes, um, and we've talked about this already, but what comes to mind for me is our bird banding. Um, we had... Um, you know, I mean, just to hold those birds in your hand was just so incredible and memorable. And at one point we had caught um, two uh, black-billed cuckoos, a male and a female that were confirmed that they were male and a female by the measurements that, that um, were taken. And then one of, and then we got to hold them and release them. And for the cuckoos, Jeff got to um, hold and release one of those. And um, yeah, it was so much fun. I, I don't know if we stopped smiling for days after that. <laughs> yeah, that was a beautiful event. And the one I guess I that's certainly one for me, but the, the uh, um, Aldo Leopold Foundation, that, that tour where we got to go in the blind right at dusk and see all of these thousands of cranes flying right over us. And among them were two whooping cranes as well. And what they do is they roost on the Wisconsin River and they kind of stage it stage there as they're getting ready to move south they come from all around this area state and otherwise and then they they go out and feed in the fields and then they roost at night for protection in the river but there's just tens of thousands of them and it's, it was just amazing and hearing that prehistoric call which really you know i, I mean cranes are, are such a spiritual bird for so many people around the world and hearing that just makes you feel like you've gone into a land from way way in the past and makes it really understandable like wow if, if there were dinosaurs here they would probably look and sound quite a bit like that because it's just such a prehistoric sound hearing you describe that jeff reminds me of aldo leopold's essay marshland elegy which is about that sense of time right deep time yes. that we get from hearing cranes yes. uh, yeah you described that uh beautifully 
You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. We're talking about the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin and all things birding as well today. We we have a few minutes left, and I'd like to build on what you're talking about with the, the banding activity, and both of you have mentioned citizen science as well for people who might be unfamiliar with bird banding and why you do it and um, what it's uh, meant to help accomplish in addition to helping people get that intimate sense of, of birds. Uh, could you tell us more about bird banding? One of the things um, about bird banding is when I've been out birding, um, when we've come across birds that have a band on them um, with our long scopes, you know, our our, um, cameras, if we can get a photo of the band on on that bird, whether it's a songbird or something bigger like a goose, we can send that in and get information on where that bird was banded, maybe um, a little bit of its history um, and where it's come from. And those are always really kind of fun and fascinating. You, you feel like you've kind of uncovered a little bit of, um, you know, information that you might not otherwise know, uh, you know, where a bird was, was born, where, where it flew to, um, how, how, how long it's been flying, you know, like where, you know, we had a, um, a uh, ruddy turnstone that sh- showed up um, on the shores of Lake Michigan this past winter and found out that I think it came from Greenland or somewhere. So that's where it was. Denmark. Born. It was Denmark. Denmark yeah. 18 years ago it was born. So it was like, wow, it's, it's from Denmark to Lake Michigan. I mean. Yeah. So it kind of <laughs> made it, it, you know, so this, here's this, here's this ruddy turnstone, this, um, this shorebird, that's pretty cool to see anyways. And it's cool to see in the winter makes it a little bit rare, but then to know the story behind it really made this bird a little bit of a celebrity on, on the Lake Michigan shoreline. And it again draws that theme of connections into the conversation, right? You just, as you were saying, Jeff, 18 years ago, what was happening when that bird was born in Denmark? Um, and, and again, to show up here on the shore of, of Lake Michigan and, and binding these two places together that uh, birds know no, no boundaries, right? And you get to see that when you're doing things like uh, banding birds. Um, we have just a few minutes left, so I want to make pe- sure people know more about how to find out about your events and uh, what um, they can do when they show up there. So tell us about any upcoming events and your um, website. There's so much great information there. What would you like people to know about how to get in touch with the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin? Yeah, I would go on the website, um, which is um, BIPOCBirdingClub.org. Um, and we have a list of our events. Um, you can also, and then sign up for our newsletter there. And you can also follow us on Facebook where we have um, our events. Um, the one thing you should know that we're, we're, we call ourselves a club, but the way you join is you show up. There's, there's no registration, there's no membership form or fees. Um, just, you know, show up and, 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 you, and you know, you're part of, of our club. So, um, so it's just come. Absolutely. Jeff, any particular upcoming events you're looking forward to? Well, we have a, a what we call our um, a Swift Night Out, which is where we watch, again, th- like the Santa Cruz I was just explaining, they kind of swifts, chimney swifts. They look like little flying cigars, kind of. Um, and they, they roost in, well, traditionally snags or old dead trees, but because people like to remove those, that's drastically affected their ability to find roosts, so they roost in chimneys now. Um, but when they're staging in the fall, they'll get together by the hundreds and they'll swirl around at, at sundown and then they all go down into the chimney at one time, hundreds of them at a time. So it's we like have a little, a little bird tornado that they, when they start going down that chimney. Cool. And we, um, it's kind of like a fire watching fireworks and we have a, you know, we just show up at Cherokee middle school and sit there in lawn chairs, bring dinner. And we watch that and talk with each other. It's a very festive thing and a lot of cheering and oohs and ahs. And that is coming up in September. I'm trying to remember the date. I think um, it's the 10th. 9th. It's, 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 it's yep, Friday the 9th at Cherokee at seven o'clock. So it's it's a great time. People, anybody can come just a lawn chair and, or a blanket and some food if you want to eat dinner and, and watch the show. And it's a, it's fabulous. And you've got one in Milwaukee, I believe, right? Yeah, so we've got a couple things. Um, actually, um, our next one is on Saturday in um, Racine County at the Wind Lake Sod Farm. The um, the crazy thing about these sod farms is they're a really great stopping ground for all kinds of shorebirds. Um, 
some some kind of rare ones like um, are rare for us. The buff-breasted sandpiper often stops there, um, and so that's kind of a you know what people want to want to see. So we're going to be at the Wind Lake Sod Farm um, on Saturday, and then um, on September 11th we're going to have a big sit. Um, which I described earlier was like a, a tailgate for birders at the Forest Home Cemetery. Um, so we'll be there, and that's a great place for birding. One of the wonderful things uh, that comes out of listening to you talk both talk about these events is these are birds, remarkable bird happenings that are happening in places in our neighborhoods all around us, right, or uh, in rural areas. Uh, around us as well. Um, and it just is a matter of uh, knowing people who can open our eyes to them, right? And that's a wonderful thing that you're doing is helping people get to know their places through your eyes. Um, and also through through the seasons, right? That uh, you mentioned, Rita, the ruddy turnstone showing up in wintertime that people might not think that there's a lot of diversity of life here in Wisconsin in, in the wintertime, right? Uh, just to, to wrap up, maybe, are there any special things about winter birding? that uh, you would say to people, hey, don't forget that you can see great things in winter as well. Well, in, in, um, in Milwaukee, being right on the lake, we have all kinds of ducks, including um, three different kinds of scoters, which are sea ducks, and they're a pretty spectacular looking duck. And so um, we, we go out all the time just to the lakefront. We can see when, when, we, when we did our duck watch um, for the BIPOC Birding Club, we also had a snowy owl on that same day. So, and, and some cool gulls, like a great black backed gull that flew over. So we've got some great winter birds for, for people to see. Thank you so much. I could go on and on talking about birds with both of you today, but I'm afraid we've run out of time and I've learned so much from talking with you both. We've been talking with Rita Flores Wiskowski, Milwaukee Area Coordinator of the BIPOC Birding Club. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rita. Thank you. And we've been talking with Dr. Jeff Galligan, co-founder of the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin. Thank you for sharing your stories with us and knowledge as well, Jeff. Thank you so much for having us. It's been wonderful. I always love talking about birds. <laughs> and thanks for the great work with the BIPOC Birding Club of Wisconsin. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew, producer Rochelle, and news director Sholly for your help making the show possible today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on A Public Affair here at WRT 89.9 FM. Stay tuned for Madison Book Beat. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted.